Gillian's going to come and read to us our passage of scripture from tonight. It's Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. And I'm sure you can find it on the Pew Bibles. If There we go, page 968. Gillian. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralysed, and he healed them. Evening, everyone. It's a terrific thought, that, isn't it, that the Lord of heaven is calling us all by name. I guess if I've got one aim for what we do over the next half an hour or so, is that we would believe that more thoroughly. So why don't we pray as we come to God's word this evening. Our Father, we thank you for this great call that you make to us through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might come to you, that we might be yours, that we might belong to you, and that we might know you as our God and become more like you. Father, help us as we come to your word this evening. Uh, We know that there are many things that can stop us from hearing you speaking to us. Uh, Distraction, uh, in particular, we're thinking about this evening. Lord, give us attentive hearts as we come to listen to you this evening. We ask that that we might be built up into um, the full unity of the truth and to the full measure of the Son of God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would turn back to Matthew chapter 4, we're in the second of this series uh, in discipleship, uh, Discipleship Essentials. Now, if you've been paying attention to trends in the wider church, and there's no particular reason why you should have done, but if you have been paying any attention to those kind of trends, you can't have noticed that discipleship has become a massive buzzword in recent years. For example, take our denomination, Presbyterian Church in Ireland. We employ a discipleship development officer. Some of you will know him, Rick Hill. Uh, We've been employing him for a few years now, but say even 10 years or certainly 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been employing somebody like that in our denomination to help us with discipleship. And other denominations are similar. Uh, We had a conference earlier this year called Everyday Disciples, uh, a special assembly uh, where Presbyterians from all the churches gathered to think about this topic of discipleship. And we're doing this course. This course, uh, Essentials, has come out of uh, this idea, this desire to focus on discipleship. Now that's quite interesting because if you look through church history, Discipleship has not been a major way that 
the Christian life has been sort of thought about or understood. Lots of other themes have been used to kind of think about the idea of what the Christian life is all about. But discipleship has become popular fairly recently in church history. And this is the kind of second of two introductory uh, talks in this series, uh, going with Frank's last week. And at the start of this kind of series in discipleship, I thought it'd be worth our while just taking a little bit of time to think about why discipleship has become such a key category in the church just recently. And to answer that, we need to go back to 1937 and to Nazi Germany. And we need to go to a theologian called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm sure many of you will have, will have heard of him. Uh, Bonhoeffer was uh, part of a number of Christians in Germany who were opposed to what Hitler was doing. But they were very much in the minority. Most of the German church went along with what Hitler was doing. They bought into his ideas of German nationalism. And as, as Bonhoeffer saw it, they basically gave in. They collapsed. They were weak and did nothing. And Bonhoeffer called that the church struggle. Uh, he and a few others formed a church that was uh, opposed to what Hitler was doing. And uh, Bonhoeffer set up a small seminary in the east of Germany, as far, as, as far as away from Berlin as he could get away from, I think, called Finkenwald. And he gathered a few kind of trainee ministers there, and he gave them lectures. And one of the courses of lectures that he gave them was on this topic of discipleship. And um, the seminary was closed down by the Gestapo uh, in, uh, just after um, Bonhoeffer had finished editing his lectures and turning them into this book. Uh, originally published in England uh, under the title The Cost of Discipleship, um, it's now available in, in this edition, which is apparently a better translation. I don't really speak uh, German, apart from GCSE, but uh, apparently this is a better translation, and it's um, given its original title now, Discipleship. I've been reading a little bit of it uh, this last week to prepare for this, and it is an astonishing book. It's powerful, it's provocative, it's very punchy. Why did Bonhoeffer choose this idea of discipleship to invest so much of his energies into? Well, the reason, I think, is Bonhoeffer wanted to take the focus away from the kind of comfortable institutional middle-class churches of Germany that had sort of uh, made religion into a system, they'd made uh, grace and, and the gospel into a kind of doctrinal system that basically allowed people to kind of do what they wanted. And it didn't really challenge people like Hitler. And so Bonhoeffer wants to take the, the emphasis away from that stuffy, middle-class, bourgeois, institutional church and put the focus very much back onto Jesus Christ. He wants to take us back into the Gospels, back to the Sea of Galilee, back to the very simple and demanding call to follow Jesus. It's unsettling because it's Christ. It's radical because it's all about following his path. And it's very practical. Instead of getting confused with a load of doctrinal discussions, it's all going to be about responding to Jesus, getting your uh, sandals dirty as you walk in the footsteps of the master. Now, Bonhoeffer was not an evangelical, but he sounds like it, doesn't he? he? This is stuff that I think, as evangelicals, we really resonate with. We want to be focused on Jesus. We don't want to be getting trapped in a load of doctrinal disputes. We want to be practical and uh, servant-hearted and very much involved in uh, the Christian life. And maybe you can see how some of this discipleship is going to be relevant to PCI. Maybe you can see how the ideas that Bonhoeffer was coming out of Nazi Germany in 1937 with uh, are still very much relevant in PCI. Because if the Christian life is about discipleship, 
then it's not just about making a profession of faith. Uh, it's not just about being a communicant member. It's not just about being faithful in all the duties of church membership or of being an elder. It's not just about being on a committee. It's not just about defending denominational allegiance. Instead, it's about following the way of the cross. If the Christian life is about discipleship, it's not about abstract systems of doctrine. It's about getting your sandals dirty as you follow your rabbi. And maybe you can see how this is a really much-needed brush of fresh air, I think, for lots of us, isn't it? Because it forces us into a less comfortable, more real kind of Christian life. Well, last week, uh, we saw how discipleship is always driven, first and foremost, by an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship begins with, that call, well, the, the, the Jesus Christ coming to us, essentially. Uh, and this week, we're going to be looking at the response, the basic very fundamental response to an encounter with Jesus Christ. And tonight's passage is really, if you like, this idea of discipleship at its most basic and most radical. The Lord Jesus turns up by the Sea of Galilee, speaks to some fishermen, and they follow him, leaving everything behind. This, if you like, is ground zero for discipleship. Follow me, says the Lord. And they do. Now, I have to confess at this point, um, I've actually really wrestled with this passage this evening and struggled to work out just how it applies to us today. Because we're so far away from the institutional church here in this passage, it's hard, I think, to know exactly how this works out for us here in Belfast. Is Jesus calling us to give up our jobs? Is he calling us to leave our families? Is he calling us to find a rabbi? Is he calling us to learn how to be full-time evangelists, to be fishers of men? Those are the things that Jesus is calling his disciples to, aren't they? But I think Frank might be a little bit surprised if on Monday morning we all uh, didn't go into work or whatever and turned up outside his doorstep and asked for a few parables. That doesn't seem to be what Jesus is calling us to today, right? So what can we learn from this passage for the life of discipleship. Can we really hear a radical call to follow Jesus in this passage? Well, that's our challenge for tonight. We're going to try and take some time to look at this passage closely and try and see in it what other things that really will continue to speak to us today, even though we're not by the Sea of Galilee. Is there still a sense that Jesus is calling us by name, just like he called Simon and Andrew and James and John? Uh, now, this isn't going to be a straight exposition because this is a kind of sort of a topical talk, if you like. We're wanting to think quite broadly about this idea of the call to follow Christ. Uh, but we are going to try and work our way through this passage. And I wonder if you noticed as we read, uh, there's a lot of repetition in it, isn't there? Basically, the same thing happens twice. Jesus comes, or he sees, as he's walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he sees two brothers who are fishermen. And he says something to them, and then these fishermen respond instantly, and they leave whatever they're doing, and they come and follow Jesus. So I think we've got three things in this passage, a kind of a pattern that seems to be set up as a repeated pattern. This is how Jesus calls disciples. He sees them, he speaks to them, and they respond. And so we're going to look tonight at the the character of Jesus' call, 
We're going to look at the content of his call. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the consequence of his call. So firstly then, uh, who is this call from and who does it come to? What does that tell us about the character of Jesus' call? Well, very obviously, it, very obviously it's from Jesus to these four fishermen. But I want to look with, look with me uh, just earlier in the passage, the, before, before our reading began in verse 12, because I think this will give us a deeper sense of who these people are that Jesus calls. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake, or by the sea, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. These four fishermen, Matthew tells us, are not just normal fishermen. They are normal fishermen, but we need to see them with spiritual eyes. We need to see them as men who are living in the land of the shadow of darkness. They're living in the land of the shadow of death. They're living under the curse of sin and death, just like all of us are. And the one who walks by the sea, the one who calls them, he's not just any ordinary rabbi. This is the great light. This is the kingdom of heaven coming near in the person of Jesus Christ. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We've already heard uh, when Jesus was born that he was called Emmanuel. He was called God with us. The one who walks by the sea is God's grace in human form. And he's the one calling. <coughs> Rabbis, apparently, at this time, would have accepted recruits. You could kind of go along if you wanted to learn more about Judaism. You could go along and attach yourself to a rabbi. But this rabbi, if he is a rabbi, doesn't operate like that, does he? He comes authoritatively calling. And he does that because he is God's grace coming to us coming to us in our sin, coming to us in our death, coming to make us live, coming as God's light to those in darkness. I don't want to spend very much longer on this um, because we need to get um, more into the kind of practicalities of the call to follow Jesus. But I think I really don't want us to miss this this evening. Jesus' call is always a gracious call. Always, always, always a gracious call. It's not like you get Jesus and it's all great and there's the gospel, sin's forgiven, and now here's the small print. Here's the extras that we don't really like to talk about. No. The call to come to Jesus is always a call to life. It's always a call out of darkness into his marvellous light. Because Jesus is God's grace in human form. 
And by the way, this language of calling, I think we can very much apply it to each one of us here tonight, because all over the New Testament, not just in the Gospels, all over the New Testament, the, the first apostles and Christian writers always use this language of calling to talk about Christians. I just quoted there from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Um, we're, we're, we're to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we'll see some other examples from other New Testament letters uh, a little bit later on. Jesus calls us, and his call is gracious. And the other thing I want to say just before we move on is this call comes to ordinary people, doesn't it? It comes to fishermen. Um, these aren't recreational fishermen. These guys are there doing it as they're living, day in, day out. Slimy fish, long nights. Not a job, presumably, that you would do if you could do another job. And Jesus' call comes to them. So I don't want anyone to rule themselves out. I don't want anyone to kind of be having a little mental reservation as they're listening tonight, thinking, this isn't really for me. Sam doesn't know what's going on in my history or in my head. But it doesn't matter. Jesus' call comes to those living in the shadow of darkness, in the land of the shadow of death. It comes to the most ordinary people. Jesus' call is coming to you tonight. So what does the Lord say then? What is he calling us to? That's our second uh, question. We're going to look now at the content of Jesus' call. So verse 19. Jesus says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Well, what can we learn from this then about our call to discipleship? <laughs> this is the bit that I think is very hard, uh, because it's not very obvious to know exactly how we follow Jesus today. We don't have a physical Jesus to follow. We can't just all turn up at Frank's house on a Monday morning and follow him around. That would just be a bit weird uh, after a while, I think. And I'm not sure that this call to be fishers of men exactly applies to us. Now, that's maybe a little bit controversial. I don't know. It might, might split the room on that one. So let me try and explain what I mean. If Jesus came into Danske Bank offices, let's say, uh, on Wednesday, and he kind of um, stood up on a desk in the, in the middle of the, um, all the cubicles, and he said, right, I want you to come with me and we're going to be bankers of people. I think you would hear that as a call to hand in your, your swipe card at the desk and not come back to work for the rest of the day, wouldn't you? You would hear that as a call to an, a new occupation, a new way of life, a call to be fully, full-time, learning from Jesus what it's going to look like to be a fisher of men. Uh, the other way I can try and maybe show you just how radical this call is, is um, see verse 19, Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is more than just a call to kind of add on a few activities into your week. This is a call to total reorientation of life, a total new life, a, a remaking, you could say. This was a life-changing call and it changed the people that it came to. Verse 20, at once, they left their nets and followed him. At verse, uh, end of verse 21, Jesus called them, the second uh, pair of uh, fishermen, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So what are we going to do then with this? How are we going to apply this? Well, two options, I think. One option was taken by the medieval church, 
Um, and that is to keep the radical nature of this call, but just restrict it to a few people. So if you read somebody like uh, Thomas Aquinas, the great medieval uh, theologian and Bible commentator, if you read him on this passage, he will start talking about how this might apply to a call to, to join a monastery and to leave your family, to leave your uh, livelihood and go and enter a monastery and become a monk and live out that radical call to discipleship. But clearly that wasn't something that everyone could do. And Bonhoeffer was opposed to that. And I think most of us, if we're evangelical, probably think that sounds like the wrong thing, right, today. We don't want to limit this radical call just to a few monks. And so here's what I think the evangelical version of this sounds like. You, you can tell me afterwards if I've got this right or not. I think we think Jesus is saying here, I want all of you to make fishing for people really top priority in your life. I want this to be your, your number one thing that you're really thinking life is all about. Come with me, become a Christian, and I will make you somebody who cares about the salvation of others. And I just wonder whether that, in doing that, in broadening this out to everyone, have we lost something of the radical nature of that call? It doesn't sound quite so life-changing, does it? Come and follow me, and you should really be thinking about evangelism quite a lot. It doesn't sound like remaking to me. It doesn't sound like immediately they left everything and followed Jesus. So can we get anything from this passage for us today? Well, I think we need some, um, some guidance on this. Um, and I wonder if you'd turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to try and think uh, about how this call to discipleship applied to people who couldn't uh, live with Jesus, uh, who couldn't give up their day jobs to be with Jesus. What exactly was their calling? How was this discipleship idea applied to them? So 1 Corinthians, you can find it on page 1144. Uh, we're just going to read a couple of verses from chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The letter begins, Paul. Oh, notice, see how many different uses of the word calling you can find in these couple of verses, okay? Paul, called, that's your first one, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Okay, so there's, there's three uses of that word call there, aren't there? Now, park the last one for a moment, because that's us calling on the name of Jesus. And we're just going to focus on the first two, which are both calls from God. So Paul says he's called to be an apostle. Now, I take it that's a very similar call to the call that we're reading about in Matthew chapter 4. It's the call to be a, a dedicated fisher of people, uh, a call to be uh, somebody who gives your whole life to uh, being a, a messenger of the gospel. But can you see, Paul distinguishes his call from the call that all the ordinary Christians in Corinth have. Verse 2, they are called to be holy. Now, I think that's probably where we want to begin, where we're thinking about this call to follow Jesus. I could take you to different letters in the New Testament, and they say the same thing. We could go to Romans, we could go to 2 Timothy, we could have gone back to 1 Peter, actually, and seen it there as well. When we're thinking about what we're called to as ordinary Christians, what we're called to is holiness. 
Now, let's just be clear what we mean by holiness, okay? Holiness does not simply mean a list of things that you don't do. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex, etc., etc. Holiness in the Bible is primarily a positive thing. God says to his uh, church in the Old Testament, he says, be holy as I am holy. It's all about being like God. God has saved us, he's called us to belong to him, and so he wants us to be like him. It's a glorious Good thing to be holy. It's to be like God. And I want to suggest, if we were to read the whole of the Gospels, we'd actually come to the conclusion that that's what Jesus was wanting to do when he was calling these disciples to himself by the Sea of Galilee. He's calling them to be like him. As they go on in their walk with him, they will become more and more like him. He's calling them to be holy. He's not just calling a kind of crack team of evangelists to go out and do a kind of a mission. He's calling people to a new life. He's calling them to a kind of remaking of themselves that will eventually result in them being fishers of men. But I think the thing that we can definitely take from this, whether or not we're meant to be all fishers of men and full-time evangelists, the thing we can definitely take from this is that Jesus wants to remake us too. He wants to make us holy. He wants to give us a new life, a life that looks like God's life, that looks like God's character and God's perfection and God's glory. I think this is important and I think this is helpful because it's quite easy to have a functional view of discipleship. Now let me explain what I mean by that. A functional uh, view of discipleship is one that emphasises all the things you do So people will often talk about habits of discipleship. Uh, Rhythms of discipleship is is a trendy word that you might have come across. Uh, Or you might think about um, it just in terms of evangelism. Oh, to be a disciple, it's somebody who who shares the gospel quite a lot. And you could easily get that misunderstanding, I think, from the passage we're looking at tonight. But discipleship is really all about what we're becoming. It's really all about Christ turning us into new people. So it can't be about adding a few activities. It can't be the equivalent of joining a sports club. And it's not a short-term commitment. At 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless, holy, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you don't think I'm watering down Matthew chapter 4. I think I'm actually making it more radical because it's actually relatively easy to quit your job. It's relatively easy to not really give the amount of time that you ought to to your family because you're kind of so involved in church activities. It's kind of easy. It's much harder to be holy, isn't it? Much, much harder to live the life that Jesus is calling us to, to be totally remade, to be like Christ. Please don't feel second class if you have to work unsocial hours or if you've got family responsibilities, maybe a non-Christian family, that just mean that you can't do as much church activities as you'd like to. Being holy is as radical as it gets. And that is a call for every Christian. Okay, we're nearly done. We're just going to look finally now at the consequence of the call. Uh, Come back with me to Matthew chapter 4 if you wouldn't mind. 
page uh, 968. Now, we've already seen the response, but let's just remind ourselves. Verse 20, at once they left their nets and followed him. Uh, Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. Now, I want to just show you something very briefly uh, that I think really made this, the character of this response really stand out to me. Just come back with me now, having seen that response, just come back with me to verse 18, okay? Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees these two brothers. What does he see them doing? They're casting their net into a lake, or the lake, because they were fishermen. Now, these nets, apparently, are quite big, sort of circular nets. It's literally called a casting net. It's a specific kind of technical word that's used here. And what you do is you you fling it into the water, and it kind of expands as it goes into the water, and there's kind of weights that help it expand. And then eventually, when it's kind of expanded to the max, you start pulling it in, and it tightens around, and you've got, hopefully, a big load of fish caught in your net. Now, just notice, when the call to discipleship comes... It comes either as they're casting this net into the sea or just afterwards. And immediately they leave it and they come and follow Jesus. This is a response of wholehearted obedience, isn't it? It's instant. It involves leaving everything behind. It's a total change of direction. Why did that happen? Well, you could maybe explain it in terms of a rabbi looking for recruits. Maybe these uh, fishermen were really just amazed to see that a rabbi apparently would want to call them to follow him. Uh, We actually know from last week, we were looking at John chapter 1, that actually these uh, fishermen had already met Jesus. This wasn't their first encounter. Um, They'd already spent time with Jesus when Jesus went to visit John, when John was baptizing down by the Jordan River. So this is the second encounter, at least, that these disciples had with Jesus. So we shouldn't imagine that this is a totally kind of new experience for them. And yet, the way Matthew's presenting this encounter is he doesn't choose to remind us of any of that. He doesn't choose to sort of talk about rabbis. He doesn't choose to say to us, oh, do you remember that these guys were down near the Jordan? This call, as Matthew presents it, does seem to come out of the blue. I think Matthew is wanting us to see that it is supernatural. It's because the Lord Jesus comes, the the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Because he comes, these guys have to respond. Because his call is authoritative, it's powerful. Because it is God's grace coming to sinful people. So that's the consequence of the call. It's wholehearted obedience. Well, friends, we're out of time. But hopefully that gives us some ideas uh, as we go into the rest of this series about how this call to discipleship might apply to us here in Belfast. We don't have uh, the Lord Jesus walking along with us this evening. He's not calling us to leave our jobs. But he is still speaking, and he's speaking tonight, with basically the same call. It's a call out of the shadows of our sin out of the darkness and into the light of his holiness. It's a call that is gracious because we're sanctified in him and we're going to be sanctified as we walk with him, as we trust in him, listen to him 
and live with him as our king. And because we've heard that call, we belong to him, body and soul. And so we're going to follow him to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we praise you this evening that you are calling us all by name. We praise you that the Lord Jesus sees us just as he saw those first disciples. He sees our sin. He sees our rottenness. He sees our ordinariness. And he still wants us to have fellowship with him. He still wants to make us holy and promises that he will. Father, thank you for this call to a life of discipleship. We pray that we would respond in the only way that makes sense. Help us to live our lives as people who are called to be holy. We ask that for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is not you who has chosen Christ, but rather he has chosen and called you. We are not here because of our goodness, but because of Christ's grace. And now may you be a follower of love and join the fishermen and the sinners, the women and the children, the sick and the poor, the needy and the hopeful, called to be fully alive in this world called to be the hands and feet of heaven, called to be all that we can be, called to follow Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.